You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Well, I want to welcome everybody here. Thank you for being here. My name is Sean Rowley. I'm one of the elders and one of the preachers here at Grace. And uh, I'm excited to be together. We're continuing our study through the book of Genesis today. We've been in the book of Genesis for several weeks now. Last week, uh, Jay was preaching on really a sad story because we were preaching and and learning through um, the story of, of Cain and Abel, which is a sad story because it's the first murder that we see inside of human history. And Jay talked to us about sin and how sin is like a predator that is crouching um, and prowling and, and ready to strike and how it's something that we must fight against or it will overtake us. And that's what happened with Cain. He did not fight against it and consequently it cost his brother his life. And our story today is gonna pick up in the middle of chapter four of Genesis and we'll go all the way through the end of chapter four and all the way through chapter five today. But really what we're looking at is at uh, a couple of different genealogies. Um, These are genealogies that uh, are two different bloodlines. One is through the man Cain, down through his bloodline, and the other is through his brother Seth, who Adam and Eve had after uh, Abel had died. And what we're gonna see inside of these is kind of a check-in point, seven generations down from Adam, and we're gonna look at these two different men who have really two two very different genealogies. But a couple of things before we get into that. Um, because when I first looked out at the text that we would be covering this morning, uh, Matt's laughing at me because he knows. When I first looked at this text, I saw that it was genealogies and I was like, oh man, what am I gonna do with that? Um, I don't love genealogies personally. Um, I know a lot of people in this day and age are really into their uh, ancestry. There's ancestry.com and 23andMe and other ways you can investigate uh, your family heritage. Um, I'm not like that. I look in the mirror, I see a Caucasian mutt and I'm, fine with that. I mean, I am what I am, you know? Uh, So it's not really that interesting to me to to dig into this sort of stuff. And so consequently, also when I read scripture, it's a lot of names that that are hard to to pronounce when I read genealogies in scripture. And so I was concerned, but uh, the Holy Spirit is so good. Um, And as he always does, he began to show some things to me inside of this text, really, that are super important for us. And so um, I want to make a sale to, to the rest of us. There may be a few in here. Who actually loves genealogies? No, oh, there's a few. Okay, yeah, there's a few, great. Um, For the rest of us, I wanna make a sale uh, this morning, if I can, and the the first thing I wanna say is that 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, because of that, we know that scripture's important. Right? We get that, we understand that, and we understand that there is a reason why the Holy Spirit of God inspired Moses to write these things down, and so we know they're important for us. The Bible tells us that. But the other thing is that genealogies do is they really serve to advance the story along um, in a quicker fashion without giving a lot of detail. It's sort of like watching a movie or a TV show on fast forward. You can kind of see what's going on. There's just not a lot of detail there. And what Moses is really doing here is he's connecting the dots for us from a promise that was made back in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve had sinned and God had um, declared that there would be a Messiah coming and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But God declared there would be a Messiah coming and so Moses is now connecting the dots on the arch of the story from that time on down through the generations because it would be through the woman's offspring down into and through the man Noah. 
later, generations later, after Noah, we would have our Messiah Jesus come. And so Moses is, he's connecting the dots. And what we really see and get to see here is family legacies. And that's our main thing we're gonna be focusing on this morning is this idea of legacy. What does it look like to build a godly legacy? Um, Is that important? And I think it's a great question for us uh, to ponder. But for the people in the room, there may be a few in here who are not Jesus followers. I wanna speak to you um, specifically because wherever you're at, perhaps you are still checking God out, you're still trying to figure out about this God that we worship, and and you're wondering if you wanna to to follow him, if you wanna put your life in him, then that's a great place to be. All of us are still trying to learn about this great God of ours, and so it's a good place to be. But some of you may be here and don't actually want to be here. I mean, it's, it's possible that somebody has invited you or guilted you into coming, and so you're here this morning and you honestly don't wanna be here. I want you to know that I have been praying for you specifically because my prayer has been that this morning you would see um, the real Jesus, that you would see the real family of God in Christ. One of the things that bothers me about our culture and media inside of television shows and movies is they often portray Christians in ways that are just, frankly, annoying. They're just not true. And that's a danger when we make a stereotype about any people group. We may take things that are partially true and we over-exaggerate and over-emphasize and consequently, we paint people in a picture that just is not reflection of reality. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for all of us this morning is that we would see the real Jesus that we would see the real God. We would see his family, we would see his, his family for what it is, and all of the incredible blessings and benefits that come along with putting your faith and your hope and your trust in that kind of a God. So that's my invitation this morning. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, for just how you continue to love us, you continue to work with us, you continue to meet us where we are, but then help move us in toward holiness. So Father, I pray that this morning. I pray the scriptures would make sense. I pray your Holy Spirit would fill me now and speak through me. Um, God, help me to communicate what you want me to say. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have a Bible, open it up, turn it on. We're gonna be in Genesis 4, as I said, starting in verse 17. And what has happened here is Cain has killed his brother Abel. God has come to Cain and has disciplined Cain and, and basically tells Cain, you're, you're gonna be a wanderer. You're gonna have to get out of here. You're gonna be this wanderer on the earth. And Cain is concerned people will find him and kill him and God says that's not gonna happen. And he puts some kind of a mark on Cain. We don't know specifically what that meant or what that looked like, but he puts a mark on Cain so people wouldn't kill him and then he scatters him. And that's where our story picks up. Uh, Genesis 4, starting in 17, it says, Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mehuhael. Mehuhael was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. A story opens with Cain. And it says that Cain made love to his wife. And so I have a question for you. Not about the lovemaking part. Um, where did Cain's wife come from? We don't know, right? The, the story doesn't actually um, tell us that. And I think details um, inside of scripture are sometimes left out on purpose. And our brother Gary Bashirs, he reminds me personally, he reminds our preaching team, and he reminds our church, we should be focused on what does the Bible actually say, not on what it doesn't say. Now, it's sometimes helpful, I think, to um, ponder on, think through, discuss uh, what it doesn't say, but but we really want to focus on what it does say, and what it does say is that Cain begins to build a city, 
And then we see this bloodline that gets laid out before us, seven generations down, and we meet and are introduced to this man, Lamech. Let's see what the Bible says about Lamech. It says this, Lamech married two women, one named Adah and the other Zilha. Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron, and Tubal-Cain's sister was Naamah. We see in this section right away, something's not right. Did you guys pick up on it? Yeah, did we see it? Verse 19, it says that Lamech married two women. Already something's gone wrong with creation. We saw the sin of Adam and Eve. We saw the sin of Cain. And now generations later, the world is continuing um, to escalate in the ways that it sins. So much so that now this man Lamech has, um, the first one we have recorded in history, has decided to take two wives. This is completely completely against God's design for marriage. Jay talked about this a little bit last week. God's design for marriage in the, in the garden in the original creation was one man and one woman in a partner covenant relationship that would last a lifetime. That's God's design. And anything outside of that design of marriage is not only looked down upon, it's wrong, it's sinful. And we must orient our lives to what God says and what his word says. And, and Kay, or excuse me, Lamech is not doing that here. Something's gone wrong with the world, but not everything is wrong because we also see some good things happening. We see that uh, Jabal was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. So think the first agricultural and breeding programs that were coming about. Think like the first ranchers that were on the earth. That's what we have being talked about here. Verse 21, we see that uh, Jubal was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Uh, Music, arts, those kinds of things are being developed here. Also a good thing. And finally, in verse 22, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron, advances in metallurgy, engineering, all kinds of things that are happening here in spite of this culture that seems to be, in a lot of ways, running, running from God. Honestly, it doesn't surprise me that much that we do see some good things because we understand in, in our day and age, um, we have culture that is in many ways running categorically away from God. We're trying to get away from God. We don't want God in our lives. We don't want God in our uh, homes. We don't want God at all. And so we're rejecting everything about God as a culture, as a society. But we also see good things that develop inside of culture. And things that develop inside of culture, technologies that come along that weren't necessarily developed by the church for the church to glorify God, but they certainly can do that. An example is the iPad that I'm preaching off of right now. I use it to preach, I use it to prep to preach, I study God's word in it. It's something that wasn't invented for glorifying God, but it can and does glorify God because everything we have comes from him. And so in this society, uh, things are, have gone wrong with Lamech and his society, but not everything's bad. Things get worse. Take a look at what it says next. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. It's a sad scene that we see because we see that the violence of Cain has not only perpetuated, but now it's multiplied. Um, Lamech is this guy who's boastful and arrogant and prideful about the way that he talks about how violent he is. He's like, if, if a, even a young guy, if he wants to try to hurt me, if he tries to hurt me at all, I'm gonna kill him. I don't know how Lamech's wives were feeling, but I would expect they were intimidated. I would have been hearing something like that. 
It's sad and the effects of the fall continue to play out on a broken creation and it almost feels hopeless. But then we read about another bloodline. It says, Adam made love to his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. And then um, were, were recorded these incredible words at the end of verse 26. At that time, people began um, to call on the name of the Lord. What an incredible statement. What an incredible thing. In spite of all of the violence and polygamy and wickedness that's going on, it seems hopeless, but then we hear about this hope. We hear about what's going on, and it's not unlike our culture today. Right? In our culture, just turn on any news channel. You will hear um, all kinds of racial tension right now in our country. You hear all kinds of cultural tension in our country, all kinds of political tension in our country, especially with midterm elections coming up this week. We hear about terrorist attacks and mass shootings, um, natural disasters, sicknesses, illnesses. Some of you are struggling through terrible illnesses right now. We have unrest and we have tensions inside of our own homes and also inside of our own hearts. So what is the answer to all of those things? And I think the answer is this, is that we, um, the family of God, should be taking what's chaotic and making it beautiful by calling on the name of the Lord. That's what um, the answer, I believe, is to call on the name of the Lord and we bring beauty into chaos. But how exactly do we do that? What exactly do I mean by that? Well, I think it, it has to do with this idea of priesthood. It has this idea of bringing the chaos and the people of the world before a holy and good God that loves his creation. I also think it's about bringing a holy and good God that loves his creation and connecting his kingdom with the people around you, the people in your uh, neighborhoods and in your workplaces and in your schools and wherever it is that you are. Also, one of the ways we call out to the name of the Lord is literally to pray to him. Pray for, for your friends, pray for your neighbors, pray for your coworkers, pray for your families. Also pray for your enemies. When we bring God into a broken world, we can take what's chaotic and make it beautiful. One of the people in my life that I think does this the best is my wife, Amy. Um, not only because she's physically beautiful, thank you, Lord, um, but because she She's somebody that just finds herself in people's lives and people that are struggling and people that are really hurting. And she's somebody that so faithfully um, walks with God and wants to help wherever she can. And one of the ways that I saw her um, do this, one example was years ago she had this friend of hers who, um, it was a mom, she had a couple of young kids, was a wife, relatively healthy woman. But she wasn't feeling right. She had a few symptoms, they were kind of vague though. Nothing really added up to much of anything. But she decided to go and get it checked out because she just wasn't sure what was going on. And so she went to the doctor and over the course of a few hours, I think all on the same day, if I'm remembering correctly, she went from one doctor to another doctor to another doctor, ended up getting admitted in the hospital that day because she was told by her oncologist she had a um, very severe, very aggressive form of brain cancer, actually two kinds, and she was told that day that if, she, if they couldn't get a hold of it, she would lose her life within a few months. And so my wife, man, she entered that kind of pain. Instead of shying away from it for, for lack of unsure of what to do, man, she, she entered it. So she spent time with her friend. She called on the name of the Lord and prayed for her friend and prayed over her friend. 
She would spend time with her family. She would take her friend to her chemo and her uh, uh, radiation treatments that were horribly hard on her body. My wife would spend time playing with their young son in the hospital while his mom was receiving these horrible treatments. My wife prayed with, played with that young man while his mom was dying. And I, I wish I could tell you that things had ended well for her, but they didn't. She lost her life. She lost her battle to cancer. It's a horrible, sad story, and we all know that that's a reality, that death happens in our world. But one of the things that my wife was able to do in that moment, in that time with that family, was to bring some chaos and some shalom and some peace to a hurting world inside of that. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's something that we must do. Because when we do that, it points back to the reality of what God was already doing all the way back in Genesis 3. God says to the serpent, after he had tempted and after Adam and Eve had sinned, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What we see happening is that God is promising a Messiah to come. And when we call on the name of the Lord, when we bring beauty into chaos, what we're doing is pointing to that reality and saying God's plan is still working. His Messiah is, has already come and he's coming back one day for us. But for that to happen, for the Messiah to come, he must come through, um, through descendants, through offspring, through a bloodline. And that would be through Seth's bloodline, which we see here in Genesis 5, starting in verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. A couple things I want to say about this section that we're getting into here. First of all, people lived a long, long time before the flood, really long lives. Um, The other thing I want to say is I don't want us to miss the pattern that we see here. We see somebody be born, we see them have children, we see them grow old, and then we see them die. Remember, in the garden, before sin had entered the world, that wasn't a reality. Death hadn't entered yet, but now it is a reality. Death has entered that, and we, we all know that that is the reality for all of us, but it won't happen forever, not forever. The genealogy continues, verse six. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh, After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. After he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 812 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. After he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. So the genealogy of Seth, his legacy, his family has carried on now, and we're now seven generations down from the man Adam, and we get introduced to this guy, Enoch. And Enoch is totally, totally different from Lamech. 
verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away. So we have Lamech, he's prideful, he's arrogant, he's violent, he's oppressive. But then we have Enoch who is a special kind of man. It says that he walked faithfully, faithfully with God. That's a phrase that's used only a few times in the Bible. It's used here about Enoch. It'll be used about Noah, which we'll look at in the coming weeks, and it's used, I think, one other time in the prophets. Certainly, there was lots of faithful men and women in Scripture, but this is a special kind of relationship, and we know that because of verse 24. It says that he walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. I don't really know what that means or what that looked like. All we know is the pattern was men were born, they had children, they grew old, and then they died. And Enoch, something's different. He doesn't die, he just is taken away. And I think that that's the second thing that I see is the family of God is about taking what's chaotic and making it beautiful, and it's also about being faithful to God. But what exactly does faithfulness, faithfulness to God look like? What does that mean? Well, I think it starts with um, trusting and believing him that we need a savior. Trusting and believing when he says in his word that there's something that's gone wrong inside of the world and inside our very hearts and inside our very lives. It's recognizing that we have done things that separate us from God. It's also trusting and believing that the cross that Jesus hung on and died on was sufficient to pay the penalty for your sins and for mine. It's trusting and believing that Jesus is not dead. He rose from the, the tomb three days after he was killed. He has ascended to the throne and now his Holy Spirit is here as our helper. It's believing that, it's trusting that, it's, it's living your life based on that. But it's also about obedience to this God of ours. I have friends um, and we have conversations sometimes about, about God and these friends of mine, they tell me if you had asked them, they would tell you that they're Christian because they believe in God. But my friends, um, nothing in their life looks like they believe in God. They're not committed to the family of God. Um, they're not committed to the ways of God. The things that they say, the things that they affirm in their life are often contrary to scripture. I, I don't really know if they belong to God or not. Ultimately, God and them know. But it doesn't seem like they belong to God because faithfulness to God, devotion to God, involves obedience. That means we must be working continually to bring our lives in conformity to his will, to his word, to his ways. It's about letting him decide and define what is good and holy and right and beautiful and pure and orchestrating and, and organizing our lives so that they look like that, not whatever we decide that should look like. This is what, what faithfulness is about, but it's more than just a list of rules of do's and don'ts. This is about a relationship with a God who loves you and made you this is about a relationship with a God who in him and in Christ you find everything that you have ever wanted and everything that you've ever needed. And so why wouldn't you wanna be faithful to a God like that? Why wouldn't you wanna to live your life for a God like that? Because when we do those things, ultimately what we're doing is building and leaving a godly legacy. That's what we should be about. Enoch was a man like that that built and left a godly legacy. Seth was a man like that that built and left a godly legacy. But we see other faithful men in, in our story as well. Verse 25, 
When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. This is a different Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Can you imagine becoming a parent at 500 years old? It's amazing. It's amazing. This section ends with talking about another faithful man, the man Noah, who we're told walked faithfully with God. He built a godly legacy like Enoch did. And this is so important to me, and I think it should be important um, to all of us, this idea of building and leaving a godly legacy. And some of you uh, were blessed with a godly heritage in your family of origin. Some of you come from people who have built and, and are still building in some cases and then left and are still leaving godly legacies for you and you're related to them. My brother Billy Cash is like that. This is a man who, uh, his grandfather is an incredible dude. He was an incredible dude. He's gone to be with the Lord now. And I had the pleasure of meeting his grandfather a few times, spending time with him a few times. And this is a man who didn't live for hundreds of years, but he lived, I think, until his 90s. And this was a guy that for decades and decades and decades, he walked faithfully with God. He was gracious and generous and kind and compassionate. And, and everything that he did in his life was about pointing people to Jesus, about loving them in the name of Jesus. He was an incredible man. And he taught his children to, to be that way with, with his wife together. They taught their children. And then their children taught, taught their sons and their daughter, Billy, and his brother and his sister, and now Billy and his wife Lindsay are teaching their children. One of the things I love is in the summertime when we go visit them or when they come up to visit us, when it gets close to bedtime, he gathers his children around him on the couch. They're little still. Some of you as godly parents have done this. You remember doing this with your kids. Some of you are still doing this. It's awesome. But he would gather his kids. Billy gathers his kids around him and he begins to read the Bible with them. He talks about the Bible. He talks about the God of the Bible. He talks about their lives and all that the Bible um, and all that Jesus means for us. And you get to hear their little um, childlike faith, but you get to hear them articulate how they know how God loves them, how they know how they need a savior. At young, young ages. It is a, a beautiful and wonderful thing. And I think the responsibility of us all if we follow Jesus is to be doing this kind of work. But some of us don't come from a godly legacy. Some of us don't have godly heritage in our families of origin. And that's how my family is. My father, my biological father was a drug addict, um, an alcoholic. He struggled all of his life, I think since he was 13 years old with, with addictions. I um, don't really know too much about him. My parents divorced when I was five or six. I can't really remember exactly what age I was. And I only saw him really a handful of times until he died a few years ago. I'm told he was a good athlete when he was young, and I know he was an addict, and I know that he was absent from my life. And that's all I know about him. My mom also had a difficult childhood. She grew up in a home that was horribly abusive. 
um, horribly abusive and, and just not stable and not safe. She came home one day uh, to find her stepfather who had tried to commit suicide. He was unsuccessful. I can't even imagine the scene of a child walking in to find something like that. My mom always struggled. She grew up, she married my father, she had two children. But she divorced my father when, like I said, when I was five or six because of his addictions. But she left him for another man who was a lot more like Lamech than anybody else. He was angry, he was abusive, he was scary to be around. Sometimes he was funny, sometimes he was fun, sometimes it was great. But you just never knew. You never knew when that was gonna come out, come out of him. And so life was chaotic. Life was hard. And my mom had her own addictions and she dealt with her own sin. She was a compassionate woman. I know that she loved my brother and I. Um, but ultimately her addictions and her sin cost her her life. About 11 years ago, my mom was uh, already convicted actually of some drug charges, uh, felony drug charges and some ID theft. She was facing sentencing and she disappeared. And no one knew where she was for about, I don't know, three or four weeks. But then finally somebody had discovered her body in the river near their home. Such a sad story. That's my story. That's my family that I came from. So my friends, if you have a godly legacy, if you have been brought into the family of God, my encouragement to you is that you leave that godly legacy with all that you can and with all that you are for your children and for your grandchildren and for those that would come after them. And some of you may not have children or grandchildren, and in fact, some of you may not ever have children and grandchildren, but what you do have is people around you. You have neighbors, you have friends, you have coworkers, you have people in your daily lives, and you also have, as you look around the room and around this church, an incredible family of God in Christ, and your legacy matters for people like me. Because without you, without your legacy, I don't have a godly legacy that I inherit from somebody else. But by God's grace, he's put me in a place where that actually is a reality for me. I have men and women like Joby and Arliss Busher and Ken and Joy Epp, my brother Matt Patrick and his wife Rhonda, Billy Cash's grandfather, my aunt and uncle Ralph and Mary Schmidt, Bonnie Knopf, who was here last service. This woman is so precious to me. I don't even really know what the connection is there. We've never spent time outside of church together, but when I see Bonnie, I can't wait to hug her. I can't wait to see her. I can't wait to hear what she has to say to me. She's like a mother to me, which she found out this morning, second service. Um, (laughs) I love this woman, and I love the family of God that we have in Christ, because in my own life, because of people like you and because of people like them, instead of a legacy of addiction and pain and sin and shame, I now have a legacy that I can leave of redemption and healing and restoration and purpose, because I have now been adopted into this family, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful to me. But I have some good news and I have some bad news, and that is this. Hear this carefully. Our sins and our failures don't automatically condemn our children, but our faithfulness doesn't automatically save them either. 
You see, the reality is, is that all of humanity, we are all dependent on the Holy Spirit of God doing his work in our hearts and lives. That's, that's the bottom line. So as followers of Christ, we are um, responsible, we should be responsible to leave and work to leave a godly legacy for those coming behind us. But it also is dependent on the Spirit of God to work in their hearts and lives. And for those of us that are coming behind, whether we've had a godly family legacy or whether we just have godly people around us like me, it's also our responsibility then to, to respond to that gospel, to put our faith and our hope in Jesus, to look to follow him and to let his spirit completely transform everything about our lives. This is what was happening when God blessed Adam and Eve with another son, Seth, through whom the promised Messiah would come. So when we put our faith and our hope in him, we are grafted into and adopted into a new family and a new legacy. And so that's my invitation this morning for you. If you already are godly, if you have a godly legacy that you're already working to build, my, my invitation to you is to keep going, to keep fighting, to keep serving, to keep loving, because it matters. It changes lives. It changes the world around you. And my encouragement to you is if, if you don't know this God of ours, if you are not inside of the family of God, man, please come. My invitation is to come. Come talk to me. We'll have prayer teams on the side up here in a minute. Come talk to one of our worship team. Man, we want to welcome you into this family of God. And if you don't know what the next steps are, come talk to us. Because that is what real Christianity, that is what real family of God, that is what our real Jesus is all about. This is about this kind of stuff, which brings us to communion. So I wanna invite the worship team back up and our ministry leaders, our elders, come on up to serve communion. But communion is really all about a legacy that has been left for us and to us. This is about a legacy that, that started all the way back a couple thousand years ago when Jesus um, died a horrible death, was buried, was resurrected, and then sent his spirit. Because what we're doing ultimately when we take and celebrate communion is we're remembering that legacy that was left for us. We're also, um, also looking forward to what God would do in the future when, when he comes back for us that great and glorious day. And so as we take communion, this simple meal with Jesus, my encouragement to you is to take the elements, take them back to your seat, spend some time in worship. Spend some time thinking about praying to, singing to this great God of ours, and then when we're done, I'll come back up afterwards and I'll lead us through taking the elements uh, together as a family. Let's worship him. The Apostle Paul, when he was teaching the Corinthian church about communion, he says this in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. He says, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat in remembrance of him. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back for us. Let's drink together. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time to be together in your word. Thank you for the family of God that we have in Christ. Father, my prayer for everybody here, myself included, is that we would 
um, as every moment that goes by in our lives, that we would continually, continually, continually look more and more and more like Jesus. And Father, I pray that that would transform our lives and the lives of those around us. Father, thank you for the legacy that we have. God, I praise you for that. I thank you for the goodness that that is. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to, to partner in that legacy, to leave that legacy for those coming behind us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We're totally dependent on your spirit. And we thank you for your work here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new or new to Grace and just kind of trying to figure out what this church life is all about, again, we have next. It's right out the doors here uh, to my left, to your right. So feel free to join us there. We'd love to see you there. If you have some work you need to do with the Spirit of God and maybe you need some time in prayer, our prayer teams are off to the side. Um, I have great children. I've been blessed with two amazing kids. And my son and I get into these conversations all the time where we talk about different things, talk about some stupid things, but also some great things. And we were talking a couple of weeks about, uh, talking a couple of weeks ago about um, the idea that what if you just vanished off the face of the earth like Enoch? Would your absence be felt in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, here at church? Would the absence of you be felt in the lives of those around you because you bring the kingdom of God into the world around you? It's a good question for us all to ponder. I ponder it with you. I love you, Grace Community Church. I have you, hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.